dog-leading worship. Uh, so everybody worships something. And you might say, wait a minute, Alex. I know people who aren't religious, and they don't worship at all. Um, follow around a non-religious guy during football season. And I think you'll see pretty quickly that they faithfully show up to a service, a game, whether they watch it on a television or whether they go. They wear special religious vestments, right? A jersey. They sacrifice time and money. And when the team wins, they feel happy. They feel elated. And when the team loses, they feel dejected and uh, depressed. I mean, that's worship. It, it may not be worshiping God, but if you, everybody's going to end up worshiping something. And I think you could find somebody who says, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in religion. I don't believe in whatever. But they worship a sports team. Or maybe you're not a sports person. This week was the Electronics Entertainment Expo, E3, it's called by Nerds and Geeks. Austin, he knows what I'm talking about. And so this is a week-long event in um, LA where the biggest video game companies in the world get together and they announce their new games that are coming out. And people go and pay hundreds of dollars to attend this so you can play a game before it comes out. So you can see it for the first time. In fact, there was a time um, on Wednesday, I think it was, where at a certain time Nintendo was going to announce a new game that was coming out. I set an alarm on my watch so that I could watch the live stream so I could know what Nintendo was going to bring out. And so you may not watch, worship football, but maybe you worship video games or maybe you worship something else. But the curious nature of humanity is we all worship something. We can't get away from that. Even the most anti-religious person finds something to worship. I know people who say, I'm not religious at all. I don't think there's anything spiritual. It's just a material world. But then they begin to talk about science. And they talk about it, and their eyes just light up. And they're like, science is the greatest thing in the world. It answers all the questions. It's everything to me. Or maybe they talk about money or a relationship. But our human nature is we always find something to worship. Worship is the involuntary response of humanity. We're going to do it. You're going to worship something. You can't control it. You can say, I'm not going to worship something, but you'll find something to pour your heart and mind and soul into. We can't control the fact that we're going to worship. The only thing we can control is where our worship is directed. If we do not direct our worship to God, we will find something to worship in God's place. And what's scary about this is we become like what we worship. Our worship actually begins to change us. What we worship begins to influence how we think and how we act. A.W. Tozer said it like this, By secret law of the soul, we naturally move to become like what we worship. So it's dangerous what you worship. Because if you worship something, you're going to become like it. You're going to sacrifice everything for it, and you're going to end up acting like what you worship. Now, if our goal is to become more like Jesus, to live and love like he did, then worshiping is one more way that we can move to becoming like him. If we worship Jesus, we're going to become like him because what you worship is what you become like. When we worship God, we do the very thing we were created to do. God created everything to praise him, to worship him, to please him. And so many times in life, there's moments where I feel like, Oh, what am I supposed to be doing? Is this 
like this isn't satisfying. You know that moment when you get into a rhythm and you say, hey, this is exactly what I was put here to do. This is, I'm in the right place at the right time, and this is what I was made to do. That's worshiping God. We often reveal what we're actually worshiping by what we think will make us happy, secure, and bring meaning and purpose into our lives. If I was just going to ask you, what would bring happiness and security and meaning and purpose into your life? That's what we worship. What we look to to provide us with those things becomes our God. Anything we look to besides God, though, can't bear the weight of being God in our lives. And so many times we look to something other than God and we begin to worship it. We think it's going to bring us happiness and security and meaning and purpose, but it can't bear that weight. Timothy Keller said it like this, anxiety is always the result of a collapsing false God in our life. You know that feeling of anxiety? Darby shared about her anxiety. It's always when we're trying to find our happiness and our security and our meaning and purpose in something other than God, and it can't provide those things, so it collapses and gives us anxiety because we're like, we've invested everything into that, and it can't give us what we hoped that it would. Anxiety reveals that we've been worshiping something or someone other than God. And anything other than God can't handle God-sized problems. The comfort, comfort or purpose that these false gods can give us only work when everything in our life is going well. Right? You can keep worshiping an idol, something other than God, as long as everything in your life is going well. But only worshiping God can give you the strength to have a supernatural peace when things aren't going well. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about spiritual disciplines. I just said that everybody worships, but to worship God, it's going to take spiritual disciplines. The spiritual disciplines are the practices of Jesus that if we model them, it will develop our spiritual muscles. Jesus told me to do things like love my enemies. That's not my natural response. I have an enemy, and I'm like, I want to hate them. I want to destroy them. I want to burn down their house and slash their tires and get them fired. You know, that's, I'm just being honest here. You know, like, I don't just want to write a nasty note on Facebook. I want to destroy their lives. But what does Jesus say? He says to love your enemies. And I say, how do I do that? Because I want to do that. I want to do what you said, Jesus. But I feel like it's impossible because I haven't developed my spiritual muscles. And by practicing the spiritual disciplines, it's just like a weightlifter lifting weights to develop their physical muscles. The spiritual disciplines develop our spiritual muscles. And over the last few weeks, we've looked at solitude and silence, sacrifice and self-denial, Sabbath, simplicity, submission to spiritual authority, and today we're talking about worship. Now, worship is part of the big three of the spiritual disciplines. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be finishing out our study on the spiritual disciplines by talking about the big three. The big three are worship, and I forgot them, prayer, and scripture. I shouldn't have forgot them. And those are, they should stick with you. But these are the big three because all the other disciplines come into place in each of these. You're going to need all the other disciplines in order to really embrace these big three spiritual disciplines. You won't pray properly and faithfully without practicing silence and solitude. You won't worship without first submitting to the spiritual authority of God. And so over the next uh, three weeks here, as we finish out our study on the spiritual disciplines, we're going to be looking at these big three, worship, prayer, scripture. So let's look at a passage and examine some of the practices of worship in the life of Jesus. 
In Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 12. So in Mark 14, starting in verse 12, it says, On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover the lamb, his disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and prepare the Passover so that you may eat it? And so he sent two of his disciples and told them, Go into the city, and you'll see a man carrying a jar of water. He will meet you, follow him. Wherever he enters, tell the owner of the house, the teacher says, Where is your guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make the preparations for us there. So the disciples went out and entered the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the evening came, he arrived with the twelve, and while they were reclining and eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be distressed and upset and to say to one another, Is it me? Surely not I. You know, like, who is it? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, the one who is dipping bread in the bowl with me. For the Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, he blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take this, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And after this, they sang a hymn, and they went out to the Mount of Olives. So let's pull some principles about how Jesus worshipped out of this passage. Because the spiritual disciplines are these practices that Jesus did, that by following them, we can build our spiritual muscles so that we can live and love like he did and how he commanded. First of all, you'll notice in verse 15, Jesus observed religious gatherings. All throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories of Jesus, we see where Jesus showed up at synagogues. They didn't have churches yet. Jesus hadn't been risen from the dead. People started gathering on Sundays for 2,000 years now because Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday. But the Jewish people would gather together on Sabbath from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. They would choose a time on Saturday to gather together to pray, to read from the Old Testament. And we see throughout Jesus' life that he went to synagogue both to teach and to worship in community. But here we also see that he kept religious feast days of Judaism as well. And we have him celebrating Passover, which started with the day of unleavened bread. You see that in verse 12. And one of the ways that we can worship is by faithfully keeping the opportunities to gather in community and celebrate God. Whether that's church or small groups, Jesus faithfully attended religious gatherings of his day as an act of worship. My tendency is to forget God. You're like, Alex, you're a pastor. How do you forget God? It's so easy to get busy with the things of ministry or get busy with conversations with people where I'm talking about God that I forget to engage with God myself. Our tendency is to forget the God, to worship the God that gave us everything. Having reoccurring times when we gather with others and we're reminded to worship God is healthy for us. It's like if you're going to the gym, it's nice to know, oh, I go every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to the gym. You're more likely to go than if you're just like, I'll go when I feel like it. Like having a reoccurring time when you're like, I'm going to go and check in and be reminded that God is the center of the universe and I'm not. Having someone else around you to remind you is essential to developing the spiritual muscles that get worked out when you worship God. 
And next you'll see here in verse 16 that uh, Jesus remembered how God had given salvation. So they went and they prepared the Passover. Now the Passover celebration was a celebration of God rescuing the Israelites in Egypt. The Egyptian nation had enslaved the entire nation of Israel and they were slaves and they were working on pyramid projects and they were in slavery and in bondage. And Moses warned that, hey, if you don't let the Israelites go, the death angel is going to come and kill all the firstborn. And he says, but Israelites, if you believe this is going to happen, take blood and spread it over the doorposts of your house. And the death angel will pass over you and will only kill the firstborn in the houses that don't have blood over their door. And so the Israelites said, we believe, and they put the blood over the posts of their door, and the Egyptians mocked them and laughed at them and didn't believe, and the death angel came and killed all the firstborn of Israel. And so every year, the Israelites celebrated Passover when the death angel passed over them, and they were saved and rescued out of slavery and bondage. Now, that morning, when the Egyptians all woke up and all their firstborn children were dead, Firstborn male children were dead. They said, Israelites, get out of our nation. We don't even want you here. You're a cursed people. Get out. And so they had to hurry out so quickly, they didn't have time for the, the uh, yeast in their bread to rise. And so they ate unleavened bread. And so every year, they would have this Passover meal where they would take unleavened bread and they would take deep red wine that looked like blood. And they would remember the unleavened bread. They would remember the blood above the doors and the fact that death passed them over and they were rescued out of slavery. And so what Jesus was doing here was he was practicing this reminder that God is a God who saves. It was a yearly reminder to remember salvation being saved from slavery and death. Worship is about recognizing who you are, how you're somebody who's surrounded by slavery and death, and who God is. God is someone who comes in and saves us. We cannot save ourselves. No matter how good we are or what good we do, we're slaves to sin. Sin is such a Bible word, but it, it's the destructive things that we say and do and think that hurt other people and hurt ourselves. And we're destined for death, the eternal separation from all that is good and beautiful. But Jesus spread his blood on the wood of a cross, just like they spread the blood of a lamb on the wood above their door, so that all who believed on him might be freed from slavery and might escape eternal death. Worship always starts with remembering that we're saved at great personal cost to God. His son died so that we might be free. His son died that we might live. He took sin upon himself so that we might take his place in heaven. Does that make you want to shout or dance? Or sing. I mean, that's exactly what Jesus is doing here at the Passover. He's celebrating the fact that God is a God of salvation. And when we celebrate the fact that God is a God of salvation, when we remember how he has saved us at great personal cost to himself, we worship just like Jesus did. And in verse 23, he gave thanks for what God was doing and had done. He took the cup and he gave he gave thanks for what they had been provided, what they were given, what God was doing. Jesus thanked God. Often I complain to God more than I thank God. But I have a lot more to be thankful for than I do to complain about. I complain about the one thing I don't have instead of thanking God for all that I do have. But I found that when I'm thankful, I enjoy my life more. 
When I complain, I'm more miserable in my life. Sometimes everything can be going well, but I start complaining about it, and I start feeling like gross about the fact that everything's going well. Sometimes everything's going wrong, but I start being thankful, and I start thinking, it's really not that bad. I'm really in a pretty good position here. It's amazing how thankfulness changes my perspective on the situation that I find myself in. Complaining makes me fixate on a few things that are wrong. Thankfulness shows me how much in my life is right. Thanking God is worship. Thanking God builds our spiritual muscles so that we can worship deeper. We were created to sing praises to God. We exist to shout aloud all the good and beauty that God has put in our lives and put into our world. In verse 26, at the end here, it says, After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. I don't usually think about Jesus singing. You, that's not the first thing that comes into my mind is Jesus singing. But it says here, they ended this Passover meal by singing a hymn. Now, they didn't pull out, like, you've probably seen in church, the old hymn book, you know, and it's like, they didn't have that. But what they had was the Psalms, the same book that we have. The Psalms are a book of songs that the Jewish people would sing. Now, we don't have the music that accompanied them, but we have the words. And so they probably picked one of those. <coughs> Many times it was tradition to uh, pick a song between Psalm 114 and 118 and end the Passover meal with that. It says in the Old Testament that God is a God who sings over us as we sleep. Isn't that a beautiful picture of God? Sometimes in church I've heard pictures of God, and they're like, God is so angry, and he has this giant club, and he's put nails through it so it can really hit you hard, and he's just looking for an opportunity to whack you upside the head. Isn't that how I usually hear about God in churches? But what does the Old Testament say? We have a God who, when you're sleeping, he's singing lullabies over you because we love you. And here we have Jesus ending the Passover by singing. Music has always been an important part of of worship since ancient times. God invented music. And it pleases him when we praise him in poetry and song. I've been reading some things in uh, some neurology uh, articles about what science is telling us about what happens when people sing together. And they said it's really lost because in our society today, there's really no place where people gather together and sing outside of maybe the anthem at a ball game or in a church service. People really don't sing together anymore. But what they found is when people are in a group and they sing together, something happens in our brain chemistry, something they don't fully understand, but it bonds people together when they sing together. There's something communal and primal and soul-strengthening about worshiping together with other people in song. Now, I will tell you right now, I'm not a good singer. You guys have probably heard. Like, it's, it's easy to hear. I've had people in churches before, like, they're in rows in front of me, and they come back and they're like, sing choir because I don't like what I'm hearing. Like, people have said that to me. I remember when I went to a Christian school as a kid, after my family became believers and started going to church, they're like, we'll put you in a Christian school. And uh, it was a horrible experience. And um, anyways, so we had this choir competition where it was a kid's choir, and uh, several grades together, this huge choir, and we were going to these competitions. And I remember the music instructor, she says, I really want to win this. She says, just mouth the words, Alex. I don't want you to sing because you sing so badly. And I was like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> like, so I just mouthed the words while everybody else sang. 
Um, and she won the choir competition, so you know. Um, I've been asked to leave a choir. They had this choir at the church I was at, and they, uh, they said, hey, anybody can come and sing in the choir. I was like, sweet, I love praising God. So I came and sang in the choir for a couple weeks, you know, rolled into a couple months. You know, they were always like, uh, we need to work on this part, you know, like the section I'm in. And uh, finally they were like, you know, there might be another place for you to, for you to serve. Um, so all that to be said, I don't sing well, okay? Nobody is asking for me to sing. But worship isn't about me looking good. It's about God looking good. Worship isn't about who's looking at me or what they think about me. Worship is about how much attention can I give to God. Worship is about me giving God what he deserves, not me getting attention. You know, it says in the Old Testament, David danced before the Lord. He just started dancing, and he says he stripped down to essentially his underwear and started dancing because he's like, I'm so excited that Jesus or that God has given us this victory, and I'm going to dance and celebrate about it. And people started making fun of him. They're like, that's the king. The king can't dance naked. You know, what is he doing? His family make fun of him. And you know what he said? He says, I was dancing for God. I don't care what people think. We need to sing for God and not care what other people think. We need to worship God and not care what other people think. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Paul here really says something crazy. He says, anything you do can be worshipped if you do it for God and not for you or somebody else. Two people can do the same thing, and one does it for the glory of themselves, and another does it for the glory of what you do doesn't matter as much as who you do it for and why you're doing it. You know, I've seen people play music in church, and they celebrated all the attention they received from their talent and their ability. And I've seen somebody play a rock show in a bar, and they quietly thanked God for the talent that he gave them, and they worshipped more than the people standing up in front of church did who wanted the attention for I've seen people who spoke in secular settings, and they celebrated the fact that God gave them the talent and the ability to speak. And I've seen pastors who stand up and open the Bible, and they love the praise and applause that comes to them for presenting a great message. And one of those worshiped God, and one worshiped themselves. You can have two very different settings, one worshiping God in a bar, and one who worshiped themselves in a church. The setting doesn't matter. What matters is where your focus is, who you're doing it for, and who you want to get the attention and the applause. Do you want people at the end of it to remember your name or to remember God's name? Was the name of Jesus lifted up or was your name lifted up? The smallest act can be an act of worship if it's done for God and for his so with each of the spiritual disciplines, we want to talk about how do we implement this into our everyday life? How do we make this a part of our everyday experience? Because if you just exercise your body, like occasionally, you'll be unfit like me. But if you make it a systematic program for your life that you're going to be healthy and you're going to exercise and you're going to eat right, it begins to affect every part of your life. And it's the same thing needs to happen with our spiritual disciplines. So with worship, we need to make sure we're setting aside time to remember and celebrate everything good and beautiful in our life. We need to set daily reminders and weekly reminders. 
We need to remind ourselves to be thankful to God for being the source of every good and beautiful thing in our life. You know what I tend to do? I notice the bad things in my life, and I don't notice the good things. I don't notice the good things until they're gone, and then I notice them. And so I have to sit down and say, this is what's good and beautiful in my life. And sometimes I just sit down and I write it out because I'm somebody, I don't really know what I think until I've written it. And I write it out and I say, you know, man, I have a lot of good things. And the one thing I'm concerned about is this over here. This list is a lot bigger. I could do that in my mind, but it just doesn't have the same effect as when I write it down. We need the right attitude and attention as an individual to praise God and build our spiritual life. But there's something interesting in Scripture. Worship is always something that starts as an individual, but it always has to be enjoyed in a community. God always instructs us to have communal worship. We need each other in order to worship God completely. You know how you can't have a wheelbarrow race alone? That'd be ridiculous, right? You know a wheelbarrow race? One person down on their hands, another person's holding the legs. Well, you can't worship God alone. Every time you see worship in Scripture, it's in a community setting. You need other people to worship God with you. We need to gather with other worshipers and praise God together to build our spiritual muscles. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the privilege of worshiping you. God, forgive us when so often we worship things that we think are going to give us happiness and purpose and meaning. And instead they just bring us anxiety because they can't stand the weight of being God. God, I'm grateful that you are strong enough. You're big enough, good enough to hold all the weight of being God. And so, God, I worship you. I praise you as the one and only God, Yahweh. Thank you for allowing us to know you and to praise you and to serve you. Thank you for sending your son Jesus into this world to die in our place so that we can know you and we can be with you forever. God, I pray that you will make us a worshipful people, a people who lift high the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that when people think of Horizon, they don't think of me or Darby or anyone else. They think of you. Lord, I pray when people leave here, they don't walk away saying, wow, Darby did a great job with the music, or Alex did a great job speaking, or Austin did a great job serving. Lord, I pray that they walk away and say, Jesus is a great God who showed up in a Lord, teach us to be worshipful in all seasons, and teach us to be a thankful people. And I pray all these things like I believe Jesus would.